We're likely the only church in America today that started the service with Chuck Berry. All right, so um, that song has something to do with who we're talking about today. I want to see if you can guess who is Johnny B. Good in Scripture. John the Baptist. All right, good. That's right. Um, that was clever, wasn't it, that we came up with that? Um, if you think it's clever, that was my idea. If not, it was Chris's idea. So really, it depends on how you feel about it as to whose idea it was. We're talking about John the Baptist today. He was kind of the forerunner of Jesus, and there's a reason he came along. And we're just kind of beginning a series called uh, G-Harmony. And what, if, if you weren't here last week, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a review. Um, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four authors who wrote about Jesus' life, but from sort of different perspectives, and really with a different audience in mind each time. The nice thing for us is now we get a sort of a composite of who Jesus is, not just one person's opinion, or, and I don't think these are opinions, I think the Holy Spirit inspired these men to write this, but you get it from sort of four different lenses. Uh, when you watch football and they're trying to figure out if a guy crossed the plane, they look at different angles. Well, this is a looking at it from different angles, and um, it's, the same, it's the same play, but different angles, you see different different nuances of what happened. Okay, well, that's kind of what happens here. Um, the first three books are called the Synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic, you see the word optic in there, that means to see. Uh, and you've heard the word synchronized, so that's kind of the first. So it's seeing together. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of content in common. John is was written later and has you know sort of different content, but all of it has to do with Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about today's text and today's topic, John the Baptist, is it was found, it is found, a story about him is found in all four Gospels. So, it was obviously very um, important, uh, John's ministry is important, or they wouldn't all have written about it. So, I kind of think we can make that assumption. Um, the gospel word gospel means good news. And good news is for sharing. And I've had some of you today tell me, hey, I got a good doctor's reporter. And that's good news is for sharing. It always is. And I'm happy to hear those things. And because then you get to share the joy with somebody else. And that's, that's a good thing. Well, but good news implies there's bad news, right? I mean, for there to be good news, there also has to be maybe perhaps the possibility of bad news. And so it's like. It's like the guy who went to his doctor and the doctor came in after he looked at his test results and he said, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And the guy said, well, give me, give me the good news first. And he said, well, the good news is they're about to name an incurable disease after you. Uh, so, uh, uh, that, but once you're there, there's really no uh, good news. Well, with, with us, uh, sin separates us from God. That's bad news. The good news is God has made a way for us to connect with him in his name is Jesus. And that's why we look at the first four books of the New Testament, because we want to know more about Jesus. And so Matthew begins to talk about John the Baptist in verse 3. And he says, In those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. Now, just real quickly, if you're going to preach, typically what you want is an audience uh, the Judean wilderness isn't the place you would go if you want a big audience. This is really kind of interesting. Um, let's do just a timeout just for a second. I want to review just, just a little bit. If you'll recall, we talked about the four gospel writers having sort of different audiences. So Matthew, the audience is kind of Jewish. 
And you'll recall that Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy, which was really important to a Jewish mind, okay? Um, Mark is written more for a Gentile audience, and we're going to look at his talking about John the Baptist in just a second. But it's sort of a different emphasis. Uh, Luke writes to, to show that the Christian faith can be proven or it's provable or you can see um, that these things actually happen. This isn't a myth. This is real. And he puts some, uh, some kind of uh, some flesh to the realness of it. We're going to see that in just a second. John writes to prove that Jesus is God. So let's talk about Luke just for a second. Look at the way he begins talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. It's really complex here. Um, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, what, what Luke is saying is, this is an actual event, it was an actual dude that happened at an actual time. Here is the time it happened. That's, that's kind of what these verses are. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, at the same time, Herod was the tetrarch, it's kind of like a governor, was the tetrarch of Galilee, this region. His brother Philip was the tetrarch of Iturea and Triconitis. Let's go with that. Uh, and uh, Lysanias was the tetrarch, again, kind of a governor of Abilene. That's not Texas, by the way. Uh, uh, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, um, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. You have no doubt who John was, he, when he was, or where he was. I mean, this is kind of, Luke wants you to know, if you're going to be a Christian, it makes sense because it's verifiable. Really interesting. Now, what's interesting about John the Baptist is his coming was predicted hundreds of years before he came. Really super interesting. We see that in Mark. This will get better in just a second, I promise. Uh, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophets. Isaiah wrote about 700 years before Jesus. Uh, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. We saw just a second ago, that's where John the Baptist goes to preach. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. 700 years beforehand, there was preparation made for Jesus coming. Super. In fact, there's more than that, but we know that John the Baptist was coming because of something a guy named Isaiah wrote 700 years beforehand. Preparation is key pretty much to everything if you think about it. If you're going to bake a cake, you have a pan, you pour the batter into the pan, you have to grease the pan before the batter goes in. I know this from personal experience. You can't grease the pan after. And if you don't grease the pan, what happens, ladies, gentlemen? It sticks. It's just how it works. So you have to grease the pan beforehand. If you're going to paint a wall, Miriam and I and mostly Miriam, uh, decided one time that we needed a red accent wall in our dining room. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, it really, I didn't, I don't know that I agreed. It really didn't matter. Miriam liked that idea, and she's not in here. Uh, so anyway, um, to paint a wall red, you, you really need to put a, a kind of a base coat on there. And so I bought, I bought some paint from Walmart, and uh, it was red, and it didn't cover much anything. It really wasn't very good. So after the third coat of red, and every time it was like, I think it's getting worse. I mean, I really never really felt like it was getting better. So I went to Sherman Williams or somebody and talked to a paint expert. 
And here was his adver- here was his advice. You need red paint with a red base. If you get did you know there was even a red base? I didn't know this. So he mixed me up some red paint with a red base. The red base was basically the, the primer. And when I painted one coat with the red paint with the red base, it fixed it. You have to prepare well. You really do. Um, my dad and I used to work on cars. And if you're going to paint a car, you've got to make sure the body's right before you paint it. Because once you paint it, you can see all the scratches and all the stuff. You have preparation is key. You really want to be prepared. Being prepared just makes a ton of sense. I, I heard about a guy named Ed Watt. Uh, Ed Watt went shopping with his wife at one of these kind of big box stores, and, and um, they had bought a, a cooler, and they had bought a suitcase, and he was kind of carrying those things around. They both have handles. It's kind of easy, and he was just kind of milling around. He was waiting for his wife, and one of the guys said, well, can, I, can we help you find something? He said, no, I'm just waiting for my wife. And the guy next to him said, well, I'm waiting for my wife too, but I didn't think to bring a lunch and an overnight bag. Uh, so uh, being prepared really is important in most of life. Okay, so, so John the Baptist, it says, came to prepare the way. Now, in first century or around that time, if you were a king and you were coming to town, kings didn't go everywhere but when they went places, they wanted folks to know. So, they would do two specific things when a king was coming to town. They would send a herald who would come into town and he would basically yell or blow a horn. And they would get everybody's attention and he would say, hey, the king is coming. That, that was his job. Your job as the herald was to blow the horn and yell uh, and tell people the king is coming. But there was also a contingent of people who would come along. If you were the preparer of the way, you didn't just announce it, but you physically fixed the roads so the king's caravan could come in smoothly. Right? It could come in smoothly. So um, you all think you got potholes here in uh, South Carolina. Um, You need to move to Michigan. Uh, I lived in Michigan. Uh, There are four seasons in Michigan. Uh, There's... um, Pre-road work, road work, uh, post-road work, and winter. Uh, and it, it, all summer is road work because all winter is potholes. It's just a bunch of potholes. The potholes are everywhere. So uh, what they would do if a king was coming, they would, they would literally, literally, physically straighten the path. Right? That's what they would do. So when it says here, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him, that's what it's talking about. It's a, the image would make sense to the people who heard this. So John the Baptist's job was to prepare the way. Now, the guy <laughs> was eccentric. He, he was a little bit odd. Uh, it says John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locust and wild honey. All right, so his wardrobe, very simple. By the way, I think it's really interesting that Matthew includes the word coarse camel hair. Uh, if, if something is coarse and it's against your skin, it's going to be uncomfortable. So John is wearing this uncomfortable, this is the garb of peasants. This is what poor people wore. And most, most poor people, they ate fish or figs or bread. Brother is eating locusts and wild honey. Now, I've thought about this before. I watched some of those nature shows where those guys try to live off the land. I like that a lot. If my choice is a locust or dying, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. I am not eating a locust. I'm just not going to do it. It's a bug. But anyway, it was what poor, really, really poor people ate. 
It's the ramen noodles of the first century. I mean, this is what really, really poor people ate. And so he wears really, really poor people's clothes, and he eats really, really poor people's food, and he lives in the wilderness where really, really poor people live. And there's sort of this idea around John the Baptist that he's beholding to no one. Um, he, he, the, the man doesn't tell him what to do. I mean, he kind of does what he wants to do. And so the next couple of verses here, people from Jerusalem, that's a town, and from all of Judea, that's a region, and from all over the Jordan Valley, another region, went out to see and hear John And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. And I used to read this, and I wondered to myself, why in the world would you go out and and listen to um, an eccentric dude out in the wilderness? It really kind of didn't make any sense until I figured out. The the Jewish people were expecting this guy to come. If If you're living in a country that's occupied by another country, they're more powerful than you... They are taxing you into oblivion. They're harsh with you. They have their military presence. They're always there. You can't do what you want to do. You're not free. What you really want is freedom. The Jews were looking for somebody to deliver them. He was called the Messiah. They were anticipating the Messiah. And they all knew about the prophecy of Isaiah that somebody uh, was going to come in the wilderness proclaiming the Messiah. And so when John the Baptist shows up, you know, 600, 700 years later, they know about this. They understand this has been prophesied because that's they knew their Bibles. And so they went out to hear him, and John has this message. And we're going to look at his message in just a second. But, but Jesus said about John the Baptist, he said, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Now, understand something. John the Baptist was Jesus' six-month-older six cousin, and so it's kind of nice. He, they, they liked each other. They had cousins. Uh, you know, I got, I'm from Kentucky. We got a lot of cousins, and uh, uh, this is good stuff. I kind of, it's kind of, it feels homey to me when I, when I read about John and John the Baptist and, and Jesus. But Jesus also called him a prophet. Hey, he's a prophet. Now, the thing about prophets, prophets are really not very politically correct. They say what God tells them to say, whether you like it or not. And so we're going to see some of that in just a bit. John said things, one time, the reason he got killed was he said to one of the religious leaders, one of the leaders, hey, you took your, your brother's wife and you shouldn't have done that. And he got beheaded for that. So it doesn't always pay to be a prophet, just so you know. Uh, but John is a prophet and he kind of he has this, this message. So what is his message? Because he's preparing the way for Jesus and it's a really important message. The first thing he says is repent and turn to God. These kind of things go together. They're married, by the way. They don't have to be. We're going to talk about that. But, but really, should always go together. Repent and turn to God. And he says, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's kind of the, the, the crux of his message. Now, um, we don't like the word repent because when we hear somebody tell us to repent, that means we're going the wrong way. I read this kind of cute little story about couple old country pastors and they're standing at the edge of the road and they ha- one of them has a sign that says the end is near and the other one has a sign that says um, turn around before it's too late and this guy drives by you know and he he kind of shakes his fist at him like you're not going to tell me what to do and the next thing you know you hear the uh, brakes squeal and you hear a splash 
And they look at each other and said, do you think our sign should just say bridge out? We don't know. You know we don't. So we don't like the message of repentance. We don't like it that much because it means, listen, we really don't like to take, we, we don't like to admit, take the blame for our own sin. We just don't like it. It's like the guy, I read this week about a guy, and he was really distraught because his, he wasn't losing any weight. He made a New Year's resolution, and he was actually gaining weight, and he was kind of annoyed by it. And, but then this was, <laughs> he came up with a reason. He says, I always used my shampoo as a body wash in the shower. It was just easier to lather up my hair and use the extra suds on my body instead of soap. Then I saw the words printed on the shampoo bottle for extra volume and fullness. And now I know why I can't lose weight. See, we, we have this idea um, that we really don't want to be blamed for things. Now, it's important that we put repenting and turning to God in the same place. They're, they go together. You can repent and not turn to God. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is, is an example. There are people who understand that they're going down a path that's destructive alcoholism, and they turn from that, they repent from that, but they don't necessarily have to turn to God. They call it a higher power, you can call it whatever you want to, but you don't have to turn to God when you repent. You can willpower it to to some degree. Now, you can also turn to God and not repent. You might say in your life, you know, I've got a lot going on, but I really would like God as part of my life, and not ever turn from your sin. I mean, you can do that. Here's the problem with that. These two things really go together. Remember the bad news? The bad news is sin separates us from God. The good news is when we turn to God, He he welcomes us. Uh, Let me illustrate. Let 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 me tell you. When I went to college, and that's been quite a few years ago, when I went to college, I was coming, my first semester, I was coming home, I called my mother, and mama said to me, because she's a good southern mama, mama said, what would you like for me to fix you when you come home? Now, uh, I I could have anything on the mama menu, everybody got a mama menu, right? uh, Mama had a menu, and and I knew what the menu was, because I'd lived there for 18 years, I knew what the menu was, And, and so mama said, I could have anything on the menu. The mama menu. Now, uh, I chose pinto beans and cornbread. I know what my daddy was thinking. That boy is stupid. He's getting dumber when he went to college. Because why wouldn't you have like pork chops or something? No, no. Uh, pinto beans and cornbread. Now, have you all ever had pinto beans and cornbread? You, you, they come in a bag. And I've seen mama do this. I saw her do it a, a million times. You, you can't just pour the bag of, of beans into the water and boil it. You've got to do something first. You got to sort it. You got to soak it. You got. Um, here's the thing about pinto beans. Sometimes there's little rocks in there. You got to pick them out. The one thing you don't want when you're eating the beans is a rock. Rocks ain't good for you when you're eating the beans. So, Mama would pour them out on the counter, and she would sort. She would sort the good beans from the little clumps of dirt and the little rocks. And and here's an uncomfortable truth. That we have to understand. God is a God who sorts. He wants all of the beans to be good beans. He really does. In fact, we see it in the Bible all over. I want to plant a new heart and a new spirit inside you. God's desire for every human being is this. He wants this so much that he was willing to send his son to die for it. I mean, he really, really wants this. 
Uh, I want to plant, I will plant a new heart and a new spirit inside of you. I'll take out your stubborn, stony heart. I'll, I'll pick out the, the, the rocks and give you a willing, tender heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit inside of you and inspire you to live by my statutes and follow my laws. And this is God's ultimate desire for every person. But not every person, not every person chooses. God, pull, God pulls us. But we've got to accept. John's message was harsh. Look at what he said. Even now, the acts of God's judgment, we don't like to talk about God's judgment, but the acts of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, uh, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And then he goes on. He says, I baptize you with water, those of you who repent from your sins and turn to God. But someone is coming, he's talking about Jesus, someone is coming who is greater than I am. So much greater, I'm not even worthy even to be his slave and to carry his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate, he sorts, the chaff, he uses another metaphor, he separates the chaff from the wheat with with his winnowing fork. I'll explain it in a second. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barns and burning the chaff with never-ending fire. And we don't like this message because it's harsh. But there's a reality that we have to understand. Eternity is real, and you either get to spend it with God or not. And with God we call heaven, and without God we call hell. And it's a reality. And when you're a preacher, people... They, they use words like you're being judgmental. And it's like, listen, listen. Y'all have heard the coronavirus. Y'all heard this? It's in China and maybe, maybe here. Who knows? Uh, it's, it's in China right now. And there are, are hundreds, if not thousands, of people infected by that. And from what I understand now, a lot of the caregivers are being infected. I'm a caregiver who was infected with sin. I'm not better than anybody else. Probably worse than a lot of people. I was infected with sin. And I found a Savior that took my sin away. That's not judgmental. It's just the truth. I don't mean it to be harsh or hard or anything like that. We all need a Savior. We all are infected with sin. I know what the cure is, and I'm telling you, it's Jesus. Here's what I love about the Lord. He wants, like I say, with all his heart, because he sent his son, he wants, it's his will, that no one should perish. But some people do perish because they choose to. Let me show you this picture. Her name is Annie Dukin. She was um, a crime lab technician in Boston for several years. She was, they called her superwoman because she was clearing lots and lots of cases. In fact, where other chemists would clear about 150 cases a month, she was clearing about 500 cases a month, just three times more than anybody else. Unbelievable. Then they figured out how she was clearing the cases. Um, she was convinced that people were guilty, and so then she was just making the evidence say that, whether the evidence, evidence said it or not. In fact, uh, she was indicted on 27 counts of altering evidence. Another 25,000 cases, 25,000 cases were, were altered because of her work 
See, she thought you were guilty and she looked for the evidence. God's not like that. He knows you're guilty and he did something about it. My favorite verse in scripture is this one. God is patient with you. Because here's what I've known in my life. I've needed God's patience. Probably maybe more than anybody. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. I, I believe that to the depths of my spirit. But everyone to come to repentance. This is his, his ambition for us. Unlike Miss Dukin, she thought you were guilty and tried to prove it. God knows you're guilty, but he did something about it. It's really just the exact opposite. In fact, we deserve punishment that Jesus took in our place. So the first thing, first part of John's message was repent and turn to God. The second part was you've got to prove that you've turned to God. There's a certain way to live your life. Part of that is baptism. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. A baptism, it is a way to show. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is a way for you to show others what's happened in your life. Um, in first century, by the way, I'm going to do a message on baptism in a couple of weeks. And we're having a baptism um, March 15th. Super cool if you want to be a part of that. I'll tell you about it in just a bit. But what they would do when they were getting baptized, they, mostly this, these were people who weren't Jewish becoming Jewish. And they would stand in the water and then they would confess their sins to everybody watching. All of their sins. So there'd be you know dude in the, in the water and he'd be saying, well, I cheated on my wife. And now I'm repenting of that. Or, uh, I've been stealing from my uh, boss, and now I repent. Now, if your boss is on the hill, that's a little uncomfortable, right? Uh, I, uh, I've uh, been gossiping uh, about my neighbors. And if your neighbors are there, that's a little uncomfortable, a little awkward. And this is how baptism worked in the first century. So, one day, John's baptizing all these people, and they're confessing their sins. And some spiritual A-listers show up. Uh, some, some folks with uh, high credentials. Uh, some folks with, that everybody respected. They're called Pharisees and Sadducees. These are people who had uh, all the spiritual stuff going on. They wore uh, these robes and everybody knew it. And you know when, they, when you saw them coming, it's like, oh, those are the spiritual people. And and, uh, and, and they prayed big prayers out in public so everybody knew. And they made sure they tithed in front of everyone. I'm giving my 10%. And everybody knew a Pharisee and the Sadducees because they wanted to be known as religious and spiritual and better than everybody else. They were better than everybody else. At least that's what they thought. Everybody had great respect for them. So they show up to hear John's message. And now... You'd think, you'd think if, if John was, was um, savvy, <laughs> was savvy, when they came out, he would sort of kind of maybe say, oh, we're, we're honored to have the Pharisees and the Sadducees here today. I mean, you've been to these things before, right? You go to these things and, and they say, it's the honorable blah, blah, blah is here today. We're so happy. And, and, and we don't know, you know, we don't know. I went someplace the other day and... and uh, uh, I went to the Capitol, actually, and, and you know, we, we met the honorable, uh, you know, hooky pooky. And, and it's like, you know, I, I don't know these people. I don't know who they are. <laughs> and uh, it was cool. I mean, it was cool, but it's like, all right, so the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're sort of the honorable people. And, and 
John the Baptist, if he was savvy, he would have said, Oh, well, what an honor today to have you know, uh, these uh, distinguished guests among us today. <laughs> That's not how it went down, just so you know. Again, prophets, not politically correct. Just, just a reminder. But when John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them, You brood of snakes! I've read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That is not in there, any place. It's not in there, not one page. Not one page of calling people a brood of snakes. Um, Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. This is his message. You say you follow Jesus? All right, well, do something that shows that you follow Jesus. We don't change our ways to win God's favor We are in God's family, and therefore we act a certain way. I've got four daughters. All the way through their coming up years, we would say stuff to them like, you're a vest, act like a vest, be somebody. This is our family. You're representing our family. When you're out there, you're representing us. Well, John's saying basically the same thing. When you're in the family, there's an expectation. Prove it by the way you live that you've... repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children from Abraham of Abraham from these stones. So if John were preaching today, he would say, just because you're American doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you belong to a church doesn't mean you're a Christian. There's one thing that makes us a follower of Christ, and that's when we give him our hearts and our lives, and we ask him to forgive our sins. That's it. Now, there are expectations, and so John is like, you've got to prove it. You've got to show it to people. Show somebody. Prove by the way you live. See, our faith must influence our actions. So people were asking him, well, what do I do? What should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. A corrupt tax collectors were baptized. What do we need to do? Teacher, what should we do? Well, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? The soldiers said. Uh, John replied, don't extort money. Don't make false accusations. Be content with your pay. It, it really amounts to be a bean and not a stone. You've got to be a bean. Look at each other. Look at the, look at the person next to you and say, you've got to be a bean. I mean, say it right now. You've got to be a bean. I don't want you to be no rock. you got to be a bean, all right? There's something to be said for our actions. We have to act like it. I read a really, really interesting article. Philip Yancey, one of the great Christian authors of today, um, was doing a conference, and he was talking about, hey, our actions need to line up with our faith and that kind of thing. And he kind of polled the audience, what do you all do to show that you're a Christian? And one lady raised her hand, and she said, I feel called to minister to telemarketers. Now, this is how I think about telemarketers. Um, I don't know if you ever get those calls, but sometimes I get those calls. Mostly when I'm doing something really important, you know, like eating or, you know, watching television, something like that. So, this is how I feel about it. This was her response. I feel called... To minister to telemarketers. You know, the kind who call at inconvenient hours and deliver their spiel before you can say a word. All day long, these sales callers hear people curse and slam the phone 
and I listen attentively to their pitch, and then I don't ever buy anything, but I say, I ask them about their personal life and whether they have any concerns I can pray for. So I'm going to change it. Often they ask me to pray with them over the phone. Sometimes they're in tears. They're people, after all, probably underpaid, and they're surprised when somebody treats them with common courtesy. Prove it just means that we treat people the way we want to be treated. You've heard of the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It really is golden. It's really the way that the Lord wants us to live. Now, again, being good isn't what gets you into heaven. It's having a relationship with Jesus that gets you into heaven. But when we have that relationship, our actions should show it. Now, you might say, well, that was just John. That was just John the Baptist. Jesus' ministry was much different than that, was it? Look at how Jesus began his ministry. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Have you heard that before? It's the exact same thing John the Baptist preached. It's really interesting to me. Jesus preached the same message. In fact, Jesus talks about there are sheep and goats and and that God is a God who sorts. Jesus talks about it too. It's not just John the Baptist. Now, that's kind of the bad news. The bad news is sin separates us from God. The good news is this, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. And then uh, what we have to understand about the kingdom of heaven is sometimes we think, okay, well, that's way out there. That's after I die. But it really kind of isn't that. Look, look, Look at this text. It's about Jesus. Asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of heaven would come, Jesus replied to them saying, the kingdom of God does not come with signs to be observed or with visible display." The kingdom of God is within you, in your hearts, and among you. And it's here, and it's now. It's part of us. Here's here's what I know. In in a, A little while ago, we read the text where John the Baptist says about Jesus, One is coming who will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit is given to us to guide us, to help us, to understand what to do, what not to do. About 20 years ago, I was pastoring a church that was pretty conservative. We had some people in that church who were um, kind of complainy, kind of whiny, kind of negative. Uh, they, if you did something, they would comment about it. Uh, just It was the reality of the church. Um, so on a, on a Sunday afternoon, I had preached, I drove home pulled into my driveway, and my next-door neighbor to the left, I can see it in my mind, to the left of our house, um, she had just gone through a divorce. Her husband had moved, and there she was. Uh, there was her house, and her yard needed to be mowed. Was it a big yard? It was a little yard. Everything there was little. And I, I, knew, I knew in my heart the Holy Spirit was saying to me, you need to mow her yard. And I argued with God, but Lord... If I mow that yard on a Sunday, I'm going to hear about it on a Monday. Because there's going to be somebody talking about it at, in the office. And somebody, you know, those, those, people, those people at church, they're going to talk about it. And it's going to get back to me. And they're going to make trouble for me. 
And I didn't mow that yard. I regret it. I, I regret it. <laughs> it's 20 years ago. I still regret it. Because I knew what the Lord wanted me to do. And I also knew what man wanted me to do. And I chose what man. And that's the problem with us. Even when we become followers of Jesus, we don't always listen to the Spirit's leading. Hopefully I've learned from that. Hopefully, I, I believe I've learned from that. I try to do what the Lord tells me to do. Even when I know somebody else might not like it. I, I try to do that now. Because we, we learn from our mistakes. Making mistakes just makes you human. Learning from it <laughs> makes you a better human. Just learn from your mistakes. No, nobody's perfect. Here's the question we're going to end with today. This message kind of had three parts. The first was repent and turn to God. And maybe that's the message you needed to hear. Maybe you've never done that. And if you haven't, oh, you really need to. Because you don't want to spend eternity apart from God. And I want to talk to you about it. And after the service, I'm going to hang out right here. And I'll hang out here all day if I need to. I'll chat with you because you need to know about this. Repent, turn to God. Some of us today needed to hear the second part of the message. You've got to prove it. I've not been living it. I've kind of known what to do, but I've decided not to do it. Or uh, I've known what not to do, but I've done it anyway. I've not been proving uh, myself as a good follower of Jesus. Maybe that was you today. Maybe some of you needed to hear, hey, the kingdom of heaven is, is near we can walk in it. We can live in it. We, we, I know there's a bunch of stuff and it's whack out there. I, I get it. I, I, I get it. But every day, every day we have the chance, we have the opportunity to walk with the Lord every day. And we, we can hear His voice and He can tell us what to do. And the more we're, we're obedient, the, the more, more clearly we hear Him talk. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's, it's here. We can live it today. I don't know which thing you needed to hear. Um, Maybe none of it, but perhaps some of us today needed some of these messages. Maybe we needed them all, which is really, really cool. I think God gives us what we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for John the Baptist and how he prepared the way and his message, which still is applicable to us today. Help us to apply your word to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.